I just woke up. Don't tell me it's time already. Another episode? Welcome back to your 12th favorite podcast, Reeducated, where we reimagine, rethink, and reinvent education. It's your host, Gautam Yegapin, alive and blessed to present today's conversation. Stay thirsty for knowledge, and I guess water too. Welcome back to yet another Reeducated episode. Today, we have an extremely special guest, Arsha Yashwant. She is the co-founder of One All, an absolutely amazing organization that works with children in India, teaching them life skills through the medium of Ultimate Frisbee. I had one of the best times staying with them, staying with them and I'm so excited to have this conversation. How are you doing today? Thanks. Thanks, Gautam, for that amazing introduction i'm doing well thanks how are you i'm good i'm i was you know i was just telling you earlier i'm so tired but just <laughs> knowing how much i love talking to you and i'm so excited to kind of get your opinions and and share your story has given me the energy that i need to get through this morning but i am so happy <laughs> to be here um how have you been i've been good it's been quite um, hectic at work as usual with all the camps that we've been having but it's always energetic because uh, just seeing the joy on everyone's faces when things work out is I think the best motivation to keep doing this work yeah and I think you know one thing I've learned is you can always try to sell your organization through the numbers or through you know a very well put together annual report but there's something about just seeing people's smiles that you don't even need any numbers that come after that. You're just like, whatever is happening here works. Yeah. And I've felt that in a few places and I've definitely felt that, you know, working with, with you all. And so I'm so excited to get into one all. So first thing is I would love to, and I try to do this for everybody, try to just picture the location of where this organization takes place, especially in Gurulur. If you could give mm -hmm. like a little description of what the environment looks like so people can put their, their, you know, they can step into your shoes. What does that environment look like? Sure. Um, so Gurulur is a small town in the district of Nilgiris, uh, which is in the state of Tamil Nadu in the south of India. And we're in a really rich, biodiverse um eco-sensitive zone, which we have forests all around us and we're in the hills, just at the foot of the hills. Um, it's really green, um, except in summer where it gets really dry. It's uh, We have a long monsoon and slightly cold winters, nothing compared to the US, I'm sure, but um, ex really hot summers, uh, very mountainous, um, up and down slopes everywhere, very little flat land, um, lots of animals. We've got elephants and tigers and leopards and bears. Not that we see them all at once outside, but we coexist with all these animals around us. And we've got um, indigenous tribes who call this land their home. Um, we work with four of the many tribes that are inhabitants of this area. And it's slowly uh, booming. This town has been expanding over the last 10 years. And um, so it's a mix of cultures, a mix of religions, and a lot of people. And with, through your organization, are you primarily working with the Adivasi community or the, the tribals in the area? Or are you working with um, just all students? So uh, One All actually started in Chennai in 2016 and uh, we work with the fishing communities there as well as low-income schools. Um, in Gurlur, we started here at the end of 2017 and we primarily work with the Adivasi tribes in the area. Um, we have done some work with the non-Adivasi communities as well, but our main focus is to work with the indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. And so before getting into the the organization itself, I'd love to hear more about 
your own relationship with Ultimate Frisbee and how you got inspired to even start this? Uh, I actually started my higher education with an engineering degree. Mm. And then I moved to photojournalism um, in Boston. And I was working in India for a while after that um, because I was drawn to telling stories that deserve to be heard. I kept... Um, I was working in newspapers. I interned at different organizations. I freelanced for a long time and did a small stint with feature films. And I was drawn to documentary form of storytelling because I found people and their stories really interesting. But as I was flitting from one story to the next, I found Ultimate Frisbee in 2012 and it absolutely changed my life. Um, I couldn't concentrate on commissioned work because I was just, I just wanted to play ultimate with my team mm -hmm. in Bangalore. I just wanted to go to tournaments. And for about five years after that, that was pretty much all I did every day, every single day for two to three hours, just played a lot of ultimate, played with various different teams. Um, I was part of a couple, couple of national teams as well. And just seeing those stories it just inspired me so much to be a part of that community. Um, uh, in 2015 uh, was when I would say the defining decision that I took that led me on this path right now. It was a time when the first officially selected under 23 team for India was being selected. And um, till then it was always people who had um, the means to be able to go for international tournaments who could be a part of the Indian national team. But that was the first time where the, the governing body had selections and uh, raised money and said that only people uh, could, only people who had the skills to be able to go would go regardless of their financial or economic or social backgrounds. And I decided then to document the journey of this team. And it was almost two years from uh, when this team was incepted and selections were held and just seeing how that team came together. And we had this amazing Australian coach who made a huge difference to how Ultimate Frisbee is being played in India right now. And he was the head coach for that team. And the way young people from eight different states speaking nine different languages all came together because they loved this sport and they wanted to represent their country and overcame so many barriers. And, you know, documenting that and editing that for two more years after that was when I decided that these are the stories that I want to tell and um, that I can't just be waiting for these stories to happen. I was also mm. in a unique position at the time of a growth of a sport where I could possibly make an impact to how that sport is grown and how young people look at that sport and what kind of opportunities are presented for young people in the country. So that was when four of us got together and uh, founded One All. Wow. I mean, I think one thing I really want to touch on is I have, a, I know a lot of people in my life right now who are kind of searching for that feeling that you described when you talked about how you fell in love with Ultimate Frisbee. One thing I'm really curious about is when you describe that feeling, what do you think it is about the sport that drew you that strongly to it? Well, for one, I I mean, I've, I've played sport all my life, but I've never played a sport that is self-refereed and mixed gendered in the true sense. Mm. Um, in the beginning, I also thought it was just the joy of playing a sport because biologically you, I mean, you, you feel happy running around and playing and chasing the disc and there is definitely something to it. But I soon realized that it was more than just a sport. It was a microcosm of life that was playing out right in front of me. Because it is self-refereed, there is an aspect of the spirit of the game that everybody has to adhere to, which is in the rules of the game. And um, the fact that it's mixed gendered brought together um, people in a way that I've not seen before. So for example, in Chennai, Frisbee is mainly played on the beach 
and Besanaga Beach is where the privileged elite of Chennai live right alongside the poorest fishermen colonies. And there's hardly any opportunity available for these two groups of people to come together at the same level. Mm. But when I went there to play frisbee, I saw students to CEOs from athletes to, you know, first time uh, people who played the, played any sport for the first time across all ages and different sexes and men and women playing together as equals, you know, regardless of athletic abilities, economic, social or religious background. And it was this sport that created this opportunity because there it, the, the space to play was free. It was just the opportunity to bring all these people together that was lacking in society at that point of time. And this sport just made it happen. So, yeah, I think um, that common understanding of that any ultimate player anywhere in the world has an understanding of the spirit of the game and that shared understanding of, you know, you can be an equal if the rules are made that way. Mm. What are some of these specific rules? Because the way I'm thinking about it, when I think about basketball, for example, it's fascinating because I think there's also a culture that underlies each sport. And what you're saying that sometimes the rules themselves are what uh, influence that culture. I think that's a very interesting like uh, theme. So what do you think it is? What specific rules do you think outside of the self-refereeing? Because it's like when I'm playing basketball, for example, at a pickup game, which is just going to a court and meeting 10 people, there's no technical referee there either. So it is self-refereed in that sense. But there's still a culture where the togetherness that I see in in Ultimate Frisbee doesn't exist in, in other sports. So do you think it's maybe one of what other rules could it be? I think, um, in my opinion, it's one main rule that um, at least I hold above all else is that um, it says in the rules that highly competitive play is encouraged, but not at the cost of joy of play for anybody else on the field, mm. which is a really powerful concept that you can be as competitive as you possibly want. But if it's going to stop somebody else from doing the same thing, then you sh probably shouldn't do it. If laying out, and I mean, that means like diving and trying to catch a disc means that you're going to um, collide into somebody else and means that they are going to get hurt, then you probably shouldn't make that decision to jump in the first place rather than doing it and then trying to defend your decisions. Um, you just take care of everybody else on the field along with yourself. Mm. And and those things are embedded into the sport itself. There's that practice, if I don't remember the exact name of the practice, where you come together after the game, both teams, right? Spirit what was circle. that Yes. Well, can you def explain that a little bit? Sure. So even at the highest levels of championships, um, both teams that play come together at the end of every match uh, in a circle called the Spirit Circle, where... Um, good plays are appreciated and any conflicts are resolved. At least if we can talk about those conflicts, they try to be resolved. And the idea is that we leave the friends, leave the field as friends and not just as competitors. Mm. Um, so you try to resolve any calls or any, any disagreements that would have happened during the game. And I'm not saying that Every single person who plays ultimate or every single team follows this to a T. Uh, there is obviously like human emotions dominate over a lot of these things that the sport asks of us. Hmm. But I think it's um, it's an understanding that somebody is trying. Like even if you're not able to do it, that you are going to try to do that. Yeah. And yeah, the fact the that intention. it's self-refereed. Yeah, mm. it is the intention. And the self-refereed aspect um, means that during a match, um, if both of us are on different teams and I, um, it's a non-contact sport. So if I hit you in any way, accidental or non-accidental, you can call a foul on me and we have 45 seconds, the game stops and we have 45 seconds to sort out that call. And if mm. I 
um think that if i agree with what you're what you're saying then um there are a set of rules that you need to follow to move progress the game and if i don't agree with your what you're saying then uh, i can contest the call and it goes back one pass so we replay that contested pass hmm that's an interesting rule yeah i mean it's it kind of what it reminds me of is refereeing in some ways is Hmm, I don't know if this is a stretch, but it reminds me of some sort of like policing system where a world in which there is no referee in a sport because they they're the ones who kind of lay down the rules, they they lay down the law in some ways. And so to see a sport where that doesn't exist but yet there's still structure and, and it doesn't feel like at the professional level people are breaking too many rules that it's interesting that there's not more con contested uh, calls. And it didn't just break out into full chaos, right? <laughs> there are definitely games, um, especially um, higher level games where it is more contested. But again, it is it is really hard at the heat of the moment to try and control your emotions and resolve a conflict peacefully. Mm. And the the point of the spirit circle is. If that doesn't happen in the heat of the moment, then can we talk about it after? Uh, yeah. Um, and whether that is always a hundred percent equitable for everyone, I mean, who can say? It's yeah, there are a whole lot of different factors at play. But if everybody plays with spirit in mind and not just about competitiveness or winning that match, then it's definitely possible. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad we got to get into ultimate frisbee because I think it's a sport that at least I wasn't very familiar with until I came to Hanal and <laughs> fell in love with as well. And now I'm excited to talk more about the organization. So it was a beautiful story that got you inspired. And then what what does Hanal do? What is it? What is the vision that you first incepted when you built it? And then what has it become? So at One All, we use the sport of ultimate frisbee to facilitate the development of youth and children. Um, the this was the vision that we help young people and children find their own path and figure out their own identities and navigate life through mixed gender sport. Um, and it still is the same thing. It's probably like the way we work has changed a little bit in the sense that we started with a three-year life skills through sport curriculum for children who are 12 years and above until they are young adults around 18, 19. And that was our one program that we had. And we took that to different schools and communities. And our idea was that this kind of education is important for young people, regardless of their background. So we didn't want to only work with vulnerable communities or marginalized communities, but we also wanted to work with international schools and uh, young people from higher socioeconomic backgrounds, because I mean, talking about identities and feelings and emotions and, and relationships and um, empathy and you know how to be good friends and all, all these things are important conversations for everybody to have regardless of where they're from but um, over the first couple of years we realized that it's really hard to work with international schools because they have so much going on already that uh, this was a really new program for them to give importance to at the time when we started so uh, we decided early on to focus our interventions with um, lower income schools, government schools, and um, marginalized communities, because we were seeing the most impact for the amount of effort that we were putting in. So then um, from there, our programs evolved to a teacher training program to work with uh, young people from communities to teach this to their own children. That's how we started here in Gutlur. And from there, during COVID, we also started a facilitator training program, which is that we have a master facilitator trainer who goes to different organizations that we partner with and teaches their potential facilitators on the ground. It's a residential uh, program for them at their own location. 
uh, three to four months or longer, depending on the relationship that they have with these facilitators. And we teach them how to contextualize our curriculum, how to run, how to facilitate these sessions, some of the support of Ultimate Frisbee as well, and monitoring and evaluation tools for them to be able to work in their own communities, in their own contexts. Mm. And... Um, since then, we've also developed a, a youth development program in Chennai and also a, a fellowship program here in Gutlur for young Adivasis between 18 to 30 years of age. Wow. That's a lot. Grown into <laughs> yeah. Something that's, is, yeah, does amazing work. And what I wanted to touch on, which I think is one of the challenges with pursuing quote unquote alternative learning is the convincing element of it where you have to say, so a parent may come and say, why not just teach biology? Why not just teach physics? Why not just teach math? What skills will playing a sport teach my son or daughter or myself? When, yeah. when you meet people who say that, what, what kind of, how do you respond to that? And what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, we, one of the first things we tell people is that learning um, and playing a sport gives people self-confidence and communication skills, mm. which is not taught in schools, um, regardless of how much ever biology or physics you learn. Um, and however smart you are in those respective fields, it doesn't give you the skills to actually navigate the complexities of life. And in today's ever-changing world with so many different things being introduced every second almost with respect to technology, how are we actually equipping young people to deal with all of this change and be confident in themselves and their abilities and move forward in whatever direction they choose to? Um, they might choose to do biology today, but what if they decide they don't want to do that tomorrow? Then what's the skill that they're left with? I think one thing that you bring up in it, and I want to sit with a bit more, is I have I had a very similar experience. Um, I sang classical Indian music for a while. And mm -hmm. in that experience, one of the most beautiful parts of it, I left going from a terrible singer to a below average singer. So I did not improve <laughs> drastically in my actual ability of singing, but the amount of life lessons that were passed throughout that experience is something that I'm always shocked by. I'm like, anytime I would you know, feel like giving up, I can't sing this song, it's too difficult. It would open up the space for a more reflective conversation of what is it about failure that scares you? Why is it mm. wrong to hit a bar and, and keep trying? And and why do you sing? And, and all these questions that really made me reflect on myself. And so yeah. what I learned from that experience is any medium can help so long as the person who's guiding you or going through the process with you is capable of doing that leading. So the mm. types of things that you're talking about, which is really important life skills for example you know you fight playing the sport how do you make up how do you do conflict resolution that's an absolutely important skill but if the person leading it who is you in in a lot of these camps isn't adept themselves to handle those things it becomes a lot harder so my question is are alternative learning spaces like this scalable when you don't know how much you can trust every single leader yeah, that's a that's a really good question because it's something that we have um, struggled with since the beginning of One All. Um, especially when you see organizations that value scale a lot. I mean, there are definitely so many issues in this country and everywhere in the world that need scalable solutions. But we were very, very clear that we did not want to scale at the cost of quality because it is so, mm. so important, as you said, that this facilitation be done in the right way. And if it is not, then it's doing way more harm than good. Mm. So even if we do intend to, you know, facilitate these really great conversations, um, 
we always start with a facilitator training um, and really try and engage with facilitators to help them figure out how best to handle these situations because you can't really write a manual and leave it at that every context is different and and all we can help facilitators do is really think about the problem at hand and be present and be absolutely truthful to themselves and the children they're working with and um this curriculum that we've developed um it can be really bad at the wrong hands and so we've been really conscious of that um and for the first 4 years we didn't really think of going anywhere else other than chennai and gudlur and it was only after we were confident of okay this is working the facilitators are doing a great job and it can be taught to do well was when we decided to do a facilitator training program and it's also important to note that it's not enough to just be a good facilitator and deliver great uh, sessions it's also equally important to keep a record of what is happening and at regular intervals think about what has happened and reevaluate if we're going in the right direction and mm. if we don't have this reflective monitoring and evaluation process then we really don't know whether what we're doing has any impact or not mm. wow and and i've seen some organizations that fail to do that part actually and you know i think what you're talking about this facilitator facilitator training which is what i was able to attend for a week is something that can be carried over to teaching to parenting i mean to so many different areas to leadership it's a the the curriculum and what you have built can be vastly impactful for anyone who wants to simply take a step away from their routine and learn about themselves and and how to just be better with interacting with with working together teamwork any all of those things and so i'm really curious to kind of get into a bit of the curriculum of what are some of the focuses in the curriculum what makes it special how, what was the process to build it I'm, i would love to hear more about it so just a small note the facilitator training program is what we do for other organizations uh, what you were a part of was our adivasi fellowship program which mm. is very similar but more intensive and longer term so um, the adivasi fellowship program here in gudlur is a two year immersive intersectional fellowship program for young indigenous people between 18 to 30 years of age and um we developed this uh, it, it's a mix of our own life skills through sport uh, curriculum our internal facilitator training program as well as experiences from uh, a couple of fellowships that i have been a part of um, the one that has had the biggest impact on my journey so far is the acumen fellowship i'm not sure if you've heard of it it's an adaptive leadership fellowship that is over a year it used to be over a year long and um it brings together people from many different sectors um all working towards alleviation of poverty in the sense of providing people with dignity rather than mm. just monetary monetary sources so uh, a lot of these lessons of leadership has come from that fellowship as well as the australia council for the arts runs a future leaders and a and an arts leaders program so i've had the good fortune of being a part of that program as well and that focuses on learning from indigenous cultures and um learning from traditional knowledge as well as current leaders so it was a really interesting mix of things and honestly like i have not learned organizational development or you know i have not learned how to run an uh, organization or a team or manage people and everything that i've been doing right now is all through my experiences in life 
And this curriculum also reflects that we've got some theater, we've got art and dance and storytelling and photography and film and a lot of these things through mixed gender sport. So, yeah. Hmm. If I was to say the one thing that makes me feel like you are truly special and amazing at what you do, and I think it's really hard to replicate and no book can do it, is the amount you genuinely care. I think that's something I could feel a mile away and it still sits with me today of when people are like, well, the world is like this and there's terrible people all over. There are a few people I think of and and, it is, and you are definitely one of them in the sense that the way you handled some of the situations or, or issues that arose during that week was handled every single time with such care and intention and diligence that it was very obvious there was very very little ego at play. It wasn't like, and as you said earlier, I mean, it wasn't like you were doing this to, you know, tell people, oh, we're working with Adivasi community, or you weren't doing this to grow and make a business and make as much money as you possibly could. Your intention really was present, and it was to work with those people, the people that you were working with to the best capacity that you could. And that, I think, is what separates organizations that thrive versus those that you can kind of just get that feeling of like, okay, they're just doing this for money. And I would love to hear how you kind of cultivated that within yourself and, and how you keep it going. Because, you know, even as I enter this space, there's a pull always from for me of like, I would like to make some money, though, a lot more money. Like, how do you stay true to your intentions and constantly focus on the people rather than yourself? You're very kind. Um, I'm, I don't think of myself as opposed to money. I mean, money, you need money to mm -hmm. live and to do things yeah, that, you, yeah. that you want to do. I love to travel. I love to see the world. I, 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 I want to go play ultimate frisbee tournaments across the world and all of that requires money. So um, I, I don't think it is that I don't want to make money. I feel like um, over the years, there have just been so many injustices that I have observed all around me everywhere, not just in India, everywhere. And it, it just grated at me inside, you know. Um, and I feel like for us to be better people, like we got to do something that we're passionate about. And through that, if something good comes out of it, then why not? And I feel like I've really hit the jackpot with Ultimate Frisbee and One All because it's really given me a purpose in life. And... Um, through sport, through playing a sport and teaching a sport that I love, if I am able to create a more just and equitable world where people can live with mutual respect and compassion, and that's my ideal vision. Like that's that's why I keep doing this because I yeah, there's there's just a lot of injustice and discrimination. Um, all coming from a place of inequality and people just not treating each other as equals. And if we can change that, then we'd all live in a better world. Hmm. And, you know, it's interesting that, that, that like the, the vision behind what a better world looks like for many it differs, but... I think this idea of one where there is less discrimination and where people aren't segregated based on race or class or creed or in India caste um, is similar in many people's vision. One thing I'm really curious about is when it comes to sports, I feel that it is a medium through which people from all different backgrounds can actually connect. And you were talking about that earlier because there's no you don't get certain rules if you're rich and certain rules if you're poor. I mean, the, the rules stay the same no matter who you are, what age you are. And it's a way in which everyone can come together. When you're, however, but the actual geography of the communities that you're working with are in fact segregated. So 
you know, usually in Gurdalur, for example, it's not, they are kind of segregated based on by class. And so how do you still encourage people from different communities to come and play together, to, to encourage that exposure to, to different people? Um, in Gudlur right now, though we work mainly with the Adivasi community, um, we take teams from here outside to go and play tournaments in different places. And we encourage teams from outside of Gudlur to come here and play as well. Mm. And um, I feel like with a sport like Ultimate, you just need to teach someone how to throw and you don't need to convince them to play after that. They will... Uh, I definitely want to play more and more and more. And this this question, I have asked this question of many people over the years. Um, do you still play sport? And if you don't, why not? And for most people, the answer will be because of something that has happened to them in their lives, because of somebody else some bad experience, either they are bullied or body shamed or been made to feel like they were not enough in some way to play that sport. Because sport, uh, a physical sport, intrinsically gives you joy because that's what the hormones are designed to do. So if you're not pursuing that, there has to be something powerful enough to have stopped you from doing that. So if... Mm. So our objective here at One All is how can we identify those experiences that have stopped people from playing and create an experience that is the complete opposite of that? How can we create a safe space for anybody to be however they want to be? As long as they can follow a basic set of rules, which doesn't hinder the joy of play for anybody else. Yeah. And I was able to see that in real time. I mean, there were so many adults that I had spent time with who had not run, who had not exercised in so many years. And this, I, I particularly noticed this with a lot of the women that I saw um, everywhere, but but primarily also in India, where they had not had the opportunity to to freely move their body in a long period of time. And so to see mm-hmm. a lot of the young women there running and the amount of joy, I realized how much running itself is an act of liberation. And, yeah. and the ability and freedom to run, where you're not only running if you're late to catch a bus, but you're you're able to run and, and laugh as you're trying to you know push yourself to catch the Frisbee. That in itself was such a liberating act. I was like, wow, I've never thought about sport as something that, even in the, the toughest of times, it provides you with that dignity that you were talking about earlier, where it's like you still believe in your body. You still have this small goal in front of you that you're striving for that you may sometimes get. There's still improvement that you can strive for. And it really does touch on that to to bring dignity within oneself. And I think there's not enough focus on that aspect of it, of alleviating poverty. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what, it does to young women, um, this kind of running and playing something as physical as this, it's just phenomenal. In a country where women are told to cover their chests and, you know, that sexual abuse is because you're wearing skimpy clothes, it just imagine the kind of confidence it, it gives some someone from a, a, a background coming from a background like this where you're given a safe space to be how you want to be with your body and not just be small and Hmm. you you can be open and run and you can you know wear the clothes that you're comfortable playing in and not you don't have to wear a t-shirt and shorts and you know football boots and it we don't have a prescribed uniform to come and play ultimate here people wear whatever it is they are they're comfortable wearing and um for for them to be comfortable in their own bodies is a huge confidence booster. And that means that they reclaim space in other situations as well. It could be in public buses, it could be in trains, it could be just walking on the road. It's just about occupying space confidently and sport does immensely contribute to that. Hmm. 
One question I have for you is, you know, growing up and playing co-ed sports, I often realized that even if you put people together, often there will be, you know, forms of sexism that occurs even as you play together. And it could be so small as just choosing to pass to one gender less than the other gender. I mean, just how do you kind of, what have you seen with that? And, and how is how does that change as people play more and more together? That's definitely there in Ultimate as well, uh, especially younger teams, um, younger up-and-coming club teams would um, have this trend of more athletic players passing to each other, whether that's men or women. Um, but it's, again, about how the team culture is built and about valuing each player for who they are and not what they can do because... Mm. Um, you need to set the goal of the team before you decide how you want to play. So if as a team, you decide that you want to win a tournament, then that's how you got to train and that's how you've got to play. And you've got to improve everybody's abilities to match that goal and um, not just ignore people because they aren't, you know, good enough to make that cut but if as a team the goal is to play together and have fun and um, be spirited and, and I'm not saying that competition and spirit should be um, put against each other but if you want to play competitively as well as with spirit and involving everybody else uh, everybody on the team then you will play that way. And uh, one of the rules that we have at One All, which is not an ultimate rule, is uh, one of all touch, which basically means that you can't score a point without everybody on your team getting at least one pass. Um, and the reason why we have that rule is because it is a team sport and you can't play if your team on the line is seven people and there are only six people playing, then there is one person who's left out. And if you're left out, how would that make you feel? And if you feel really bad when you're left out, then wouldn't the other person also be feeling the same way? So would you want your friend to feel that way? And so mm. basically we have all these conversations around empathy and uh, inclusion and about skills being taught to people who don't have them. So if you can throw really well and somebody else can't, why don't you teach them how to throw rather than complain that they're not throwing well? Mm. Yeah. Can you develop the team around you to be at the level rather than just like critiquing them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow, that's a, I mean, great point. You so know, if one you're a great yeah. athlete, sorry, if you're a great <clears throat> athlete, um, Try and make everybody great athletes around you rather than focusing on just your own skills. Mm. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's a different intention completely. Yeah. You know, one thing I have to, you know, I have to touch on because it was one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen. And we can, you know, I'm really excited to hear what you have, your kind of um, opinion and perspective on this is. There was a situation that had arose during the camp where we had to deal with some conflict and it was quite serious. And usually when I, you know, see people deal with conflict that often can offend one personally, the easiest way to do it is through punishment to say, okay, you're no longer allowed to come back. You have made a mistake. Therefore you are done. But the approach that you all took was one with so much empathy and power that it felt like it left a lasting impression on the people who had made the mistakes to really have to sit with that feeling of, I really made everyone else feel like this. And because of that, I never want to make them feel like that again, because they have made it very clear how much they care about me. And I don't ever want to hurt these people again. And that form of communicating is something that's so much more powerful than if if you had gone the approach of just, you've made this mistake, we don't want this anymore, we're drawing the boundaries, you no longer are allowed to come. I would love to hear, you know, you explain kind of the thought process behind that, 
how you handle conflict resolution within your own organization. And, and I mean, I just think that was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. Thanks. Um, I think that also comes from the experience of being part of different systems of education and sport over the years where punishment is a big thing. And I've never seen punishment work. I mean, it's like, it, it, at least it's never worked for me. So I, I can't imagine it actually working to change behaviors in somebody else. And um, like we, what we have learned through the work over the years is that if there is a conflict, most of us just state what the conflict is. And because it's from different perspectives, the perspective of what that conflict is changes from person to person. But if we can communicate how that conflict made us feel, the feelings are universal. Like everybody knows what it means to feel bad and feel hurt and feel sad about something and feel absolutely disappointed by something. But conflict's got many, many different perspectives. So rather than harping on about somebody making a mistake, everybody can make a mistake. I can make a mistake. You can make a mistake. And we can't say that, you know, just because I've realized that this is a horrible thing to do, that I'm not going to do it again tomorrow, because you don't know what the circumstance is of that person at that point of time. So rather than just going on about um, what rule they have broken, our idea was to first talk about why we have rules. Why do we have any kind of rule in society? And what the, like the, the idea that rules exist for the common benefit of everybody who is part of that society or part of that community or part of that group. And if this rule is being broken, then it's, I mean, you can set, the punishment can only be given if that person who's broken the rule is actually found out. But if you're not found out, you're going to just keep making, breaking that rule again and again, because you're not being accountable to anybody else. Mm. Um, so what we really wanted to do was try to make them be accountable to themselves as well as to the entire group, because this rule was something that the group had set and it wasn't just one person, not just me. And so it wasn't my prerogative there to say, you know, you did this and so you're not coming for the next three camps or whatever. But it's like all of these things put together. Why do we have rules? We we all need to follow these rules for our own um, well-being. And because this rule was broken, we want to understand why it was broken. And we want you to understand how that made us feel. And if we are feeling unsafe and sad, that is that is what is important and not that you broke that rule. So mm. hopefully that feeling next time you want to do the same thing, it's more impactful, I hope, than the feeling of, oh, I'm not going to do, I'm going to do this right now because nobody is looking. Well said. That feeling, I mean, I've felt it so many times throughout my life where when I have broken rules, I never really understood the impact that it had on myself and on others in any like long term kind of thing. So I never realized how something mean I would say would impact the relationship over a long period of time where when I was younger, I'd just be like, okay, well, this is what I want to say, or this is what I want to do in this particular moment without taking into consideration kind of the long-term negative impacts of, of ruining relationships like that. And and it is such a resource. And so I think oftentimes what ends up happening is if somebody just makes you feel like you're bad, like being in school and you talk out of turn or whatever, and you're like, you're a bad student. 
you kind of end up building all this resentment over a long period of time that doesn't serve anyone benefit really. But the ability to be like, look, like I still believe in you. That's what I felt most. And that's what I felt was most powerful and unique about the approach that you all took, which was that the person still felt as if you believed in them, that there was still trust and you just expected better of them. And so I think when you expect better of people, they often reach they, they strive to reach your expectations rather than if you just be, expect very lowly of them. They're like, all right, well, they already expect this of me. So why should I even be better? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think um, I, I remember one of the elders in Australia uh, as part of this course, when I had been there, I was asking her uh, because she, I mean, they have a huge history of discrimination there and a lot of really, really, um, horrible issues that young people are facing in the indigenous communities there as well very similar to our communities here with respect to alcoholism and substance abuse and domestic violence and education and all these things and she was working with um, rehabilitation of young people and I remember asking her so like over the years it's obviously like not everybody is going to be receptive to what you're saying and there are going to be people who still do whatever it is that they want to do even though they know that it is not the best choice for them and how do you deal with that and what she said I will never forget she's like you know you can only do so much but at the end of the day you can leave the door open and that mm. was just so powerful that it's I mean, we've all made bad choices in life. And if we had not been given second or third or fourth chances in life, we'd probably not be here where we are. And who are we to deny that choice to somebody else just because they've broken a rule that you or society at that point has set? Wow. It takes a lot of love for yourself to be able to do that over a long period of time for many people. It's easy to close off and wall yourself off and say, nope, you've, you've made a mistake. You've hurt me once, never again. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, to, to close this off, um, from when one all started to get involved in the Gurular community, what would you say are some of the biggest differences you've noticed from before and after? Well, for one, um, I would definitely like to acknowledge first off that we are not the only ones working in the community here. And any kind of impact that we see in young people is not just because of one all, but because of all the different organizations and all the different people who are working every day to figure out how to make a better world around us. Um, that being said, just in this fellowship, um, over the last year, we're now halfway through our training. And in the last camp, we had a reflective circle on where um, the fellows saw them, where they were one year back when we started last January and where they are right now. And one of the biggest differences that they saw in themselves was that they now look into people's eyes when they speak. Wow. which is a huge indicator of confidence. And that was one of the first things that we wanted to deal with over the first six months using theater. And it just brings me so much joy to see the confidence in them today. Um, there's one person who has gone all the way to Udi to the collector's office to fight for road access to his village and you know complain about people who are encroaching at their village there's there's one person one of the boys who's engaged to be married in the next couple of months and he said that doing these pieces of theater over and over and seeing the kind of emotional response that it is getting from people and the emotional response that it is getting from him that he is also showing that he does not want to make the same mistakes that he sees so many people around him make. He wants to be better for his family. He wants to be a better husband and, and a better father. Um, young people have said that they've started drinking less, that they've been able to save at least some money. 
um, young girls have started speaking up for their rights at ration shops, at you know, not giving up space and being bullied in public buses. Um, young people have said that they now are able to speak without fear when they're being questioned by cops when they come to the villages for some inquiry or the other. Young boys have said that they now help their mothers and sisters with chores in their houses when um, because they have understood what kind of um, issues women go through to, during menstruation. So, yeah, it's just, there's just so many things I can go on and on and on. Mm. Um, another big thing is, that gives me a lot of joy is one young woman said that she has started asking people why, which is just so powerful. Mm. Wow. And when you hear these stories, what 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 feelings do you feel? It gives me real joy that it's not just me and and my team noticing these things, but it's all these young people noticing this in themselves. Um, it really makes me feel. I don't want to say proud because it that pride comes from a place of power in some sense. But I just feel so much happiness and joy in seeing all these young people grow into themselves. Hmm. It makes me feel like, you know, this has all definitely been worth it. And this is a form of education that's so essential. I mean, I think the things, I mean, the pride, the self-confidence, the dignity, I mean, within yourself to feel, you know, I am worthy of of asking why I'm worthy of of being upset when someone touches my body in a way that they shouldn't. Like I, to, to find those things is not anything that you'll necessarily find within conventional schooling, but is all so important in the development of yourself. And so yeah. I think it's really cool that your organization, I mean, cool is such a, not the word I'm looking for, but it is amazing that you found all of these things that I think conventional schooling has not, and you've really helped develop these things. And so I guess my last question for you would be, how can we make this more, you know, available and accessible to, I mean, I can't imagine a community anywhere in the world that wouldn't benefit from, from something like this and from some like one all. And so yeah. What is kind of the future of One All and, and how can people get involved? Well, one of the things that we are trying to do is partner with as many different organizations as possible because um, we also definitely feel that every community would benefit from something like this. Um, so if there are partner organizations who feel that this is something that will benefit young people in their communities, then, then please do reach out to us and we'd be happy to figure out how we can work together. Um, we offer facilitation training. We, um, we are trying to figure out if we can work with the government to do teacher trainings within the government systems because as much as we like to complain about the system it is still the system and um, we have to try and work towards some kind of change within the system and so we are exploring possibilities of that as well um, we are exploring possibilities of exchange programs with other indigenous communities <clears throat> within the country and outside because peer learning is as important as being in a classroom, e even more important, I would say. Um, and we are open to collaborations in any way and form possible, as long as our values align with the, with the potential partners. Um, we also run on donations and philanthropic funding and institutional grants. 
Um, so that is definitely a way for anybody to be involved with us. Um, and if there are any ideas that anybody else has in how we can spread word about this and take this to the rest of the world, I'm all ears. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would, yes, I, I am a hundred percent behind and a full proponent of the work that you guys do. And I'm really excited to see, you know, what nooks of the world can, can this kind of idea go and touch? Um, which is really simple. I mean, like love, play and be kind, right? I mean, I think that encapsulates yeah. a lot of it. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing everything. I mean, this was a beautiful conversation and I'm really glad we were able to, to deep dive into the world of Ultimate Frisbee and One All. No, thank you so much for having me. This has been truly wonderful. And that brings us to the end of our conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you again for listening and making this process so much more enjoyable. If you haven't had the chance to already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts to get the latest updates on new episodes. If you've been learning useful information here, feel free to leave a review as well. A little bit goes a long way in spreading this podcast. And have a wonderful day, and as per usual, stay re-educated.